Welcome to the Ready Eddy Podcast, where we tell the story of startups in the outdoor sport industry through the voice of their founders. This podcast episode was originally recorded on August 21st, 2017. Since Butora is part of our current climbing giveaway, we wanted to bring this episode back from our archives. We've cleaned up the audio a bit and hope that you enjoy this episode with co-owner Bradley Hilbert talking about how and why he started Butora. What is going on, Ready Eddy Podcast listeners? Josh Sabu here, your host, and on today's episode, I am sitting down with Brad Hilbert, one of the... Uh, uh, owners and director of marketing for uh, Batora USA. Uh, Brad, thanks for uh, taking the time to chat with me. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited a- to talk with you for a little while about Butora climbing. Yeah, me as well. It's it's sort of an interesting story um, in hearing how you got connected with uh, Butora. And for, let's start off right off the bat for the listener that may not be familiar with um, Batora, how would you describe um, it to someone who is just stumbling or just asking you, uh, hey, what do you do? <laughs> well, what do you do is a fun question because I think we all like to think that what we do is introduce people to climbing um, in a really fun way. And with the shoe company, we're able to hopefully get them in the most comfortable shoe <clears throat> that meets their performance needs. Um, yeah, so that's kind of what we do. So to give a little bit more detail, what is so unique about the climbing shoes that you guys offer and how is it different than, say, um, a typical climbing shoe you would find in, in an REI or a, a, a climbing store that you walk into? Well, one of the main things is innovation. Um, climbing comfort and innovation. That's the tagline I put on everything. <laughs> but really, it's true. We're, we're able to work with the manufacturer and designer directly so there isn't as many steps between us being on the road and talking to the climbers, which we are on constantly. I think we did 400 demos last year. And then, so we get to talk to a lot of climbers and gyms all across the country and our fast-growing community of people. And when they have problems or they have issues, we're able to talk directly in one step the designer and manufacturer who's really excited about making the perfect climbing shoe. So he's a yes man all the time with new designs and a step-by-step improvement on his original design uh, to make sure he has what people are asking for and not necessarily what he thinks is best. Um, I think that's definitely a different part about our company. Uh, we came out with the first fully markless rental shoe, um, and we've been very flattered that other companies have been following suit with that. We also have a wide and narrow version of all of our shoes. We don't go with the typical men's and women's. We have a non-gender bias um, way that we size shoes. Um, so there's that. Mm. 
We also were, I'm not sure if we're the first. I hate to say the first because then I'm going to get myself in trouble <laughs> or not give credit to the other great companies that may have had these ideas. Um, but as far as I know, we were the first shoe company to do a full-length ABS midsole in our shoes. So an ABS midsole is like a plasticky, rubbery memory material that goes between the rubber and the rand of a climbing shoe and helps it to maintain its structure through the life of the shoe. I know before us, I believe Scarpa was doing small inserts uh, to help maintain that structure in the front of their shoes, but as far as I know, we were the first to do a full ABS midsole. So how, how did you get involved with um, Butera? What, what's your background, so to speak, that led you to where you, where you are now? Well, that's a long, funny story, Josh. Uh, I was actually living in South Korea for somewhere between six and seven years, and so were the rest of the people that started our company, Brian Helensky, our president, and Mac Mayer, our director of sales. And we all met through a refurbishing project that was in South Korea. We were replacing bolts and replacing anchors of the crags of South Korea through Korea on the Rocks initiatives, which is a nonprofit that our president, Brian Helensky, started. Um, he actually got me into climbing, and then I wanted to learn as much as I could about climbing. So I started working with him and Mac, uh, rebolting and re-anchoring all of the crags that we could get to in South Korea. We also brought the Real Rock Tour there, and uh, it was interesting working in that nonprofit sector to try to do as much as we could. Um, but one thing that I think we all learned was that through a for-profit sector, we can do as much, if not more, support for the access fund and for different things like we were doing before without asking people for money, right? So we can make all of the money and in exchange give a quality product to somebody and then we can use portions of that profit to do the same things that we were doing where we were having to beg for money before to support these climbing crags. So, so it's interesting uh, the way people look at profit and nonprofit where it seems like it's easier to just take the money that you earn and put it towards the things that you believe in uh, than have to run around your hair on fire trying to ask people and being refused over and over. So. Definitely, definitely. So how far along the process when you were in South Korea did you get hooked up with um, the founder? Well, he actually brought us the first edition of the shoe, The Endeavor, and there were quite a few things that we didn't care for with the shoe, and so Brian had told him, no, we're not interested in doing this and bringing this shoe into the country. I actually wasn't even involved at this point. I was back in the United States and uh, didn't even know anything about it. And it's interesting because typically if you would tell like an older Korean man that there's a problem with this stuff that he's doing, they would kind they would take a little bit of offense to it. 
because of the way the hierarchy of their culture works there. Um, but Mr. Nam is a very different kind of a person. He's the designer and manufacturer. He went back and fixed all the things that Brian had suggested, and he wouldn't take no for an answer and came back to him and said, look, I fixed all these things. Now, are you ready to do this? And so Brian <laughs> kind of was sitting there, and he's a man of his word, so he said, all right, we'll do this. Let's do it. And uh, so he came and tried to get me to join in on the project and I was doing well getting ready to take a job with the fire department actually in North Carolina and I had told him no and he was the same as Mr. Nam. We were all kind of a little bit hard-headed and he sent me a pair of shoes and as soon as I put them on I knew that this is the best climbing shoe I've ever worn so it was time to live the American dream and uh, just go at it with this entrepreneurial venture at least once in our lives. <laughs> For me, it was the idea of just at least once in my life, I'm going to try this out and see what happens um, with something I believe in. So I guess I always had the idea that I might do something like this one day, but it took having something I really believed in in combination with climbing, which is something that had totally taken over my life, for me to have the, I don't know, the the spark or whatever you want to call it to actually go do it. Of course. So, so what, what did, when did you start climbing? Did you grow up climbing as a kid? No, no, I'm, uh, I'm a Kentucky basketball kid. Oh, <laughs> I, can my, I can remember my grandpa give me a basketball when I was five and being like, this is what you're going to do. I remember my dad jumping up and down on a bed and doing all the things and screaming and yelling that he told us we weren't supposed to do as kids watching the Duke Kentucky basketball game in 1992. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was that was me for 20 something years. I tore my ACL and went changed some things, so I went off to Europe and then ended up in Korea, caught the traveling bug. Then in Korea, I caught the climbing bug. That's really interesting. So you're originally from um, North Carolina, or did you move there later? I'm from North, or I'm from Kentucky, but I moved to North Carolina because my wife is finishing her PhD at Duke. She finished, actually. She is now Dr. Gould. <laughs> mm, nice. <laughs> So I want to go back to what you said earlier in when when you first put on the climbing shoe and that's what convinced you to um, do this full time or, or jump right into it. I want to ask what about the climbing shoe made it the most comfortable shoe you've ever put on? Well, honestly, I hate to like, let's blame it on my foot. My <laughs> foot hurts. And every other climbing shoe I'd ever put on to some degree when I first put it on uh, the box. Um, so in 10 years of climbing, I had gone through, I won't name any companies, but I'd gone through um, four different companies. Um, and it just hurt. There was this idea that you have to break in your climbing shoe. And when I put on the Acro for the first time, it didn't hurt. And... I thought, oh, that's kind of weird. I've been under this impression that it's supposed to hurt. I'm supposed to break the shoe in, right? 
Um, but when it didn't, it just made me realize the difference in quality and construction of a shoe that is built to the contour of a person's foot, you can still get performance out of that. So, I mean, if my fingers are going to hurt because I'm like 6'3 and 200 pounds, so I got a lot of weight on my fingers. And if they're going to hurt and I'm going to be beating them up, I don't need to also be beating my feet up if I don't have to. So that was the difference, just putting the shoe on that felt good right out of the box. So from the first, obviously trying that on the first time and you decided to jump into this full steam, what did you guys do? How, what was the process in then setting up shop and building this out in, in the States? Well, actually, there was someone that tried to bring the shoe into the country about three or four months before us, um, and he was uh, not successful. I think mostly because he was doing it by himself. And what it takes to bring, we've learned since then, um, what it takes to bring any product into the United States into such a huge market takes a lot of work beforehand, before you actually start selling. So uh, fortunately for us, and throw a thank you out to him for his misfortune turned into our ability to prepare. So we had three people preparing for six months um, with accounting and our shipping department and marketing and getting things ready just to launch the shoe. Um, I think that was one of the, I mean, we've still had plenty of growing pains because we've been growing so fast um, as a result of being in gyms all over the country, 400 demos last year and having just a great sales team of people that, funny enough, they all came from Korea as well. Sorry, that's a little bit of a side tangent, but when you're coming from Korea back into the United States and the people you're trying to get hired by can't read or talk to any of your your previous job experiences, so I have five years of job experiences with a guy that doesn't speak English, so... <laughs> Try telling your future employer that and see how far it gets you. Yeah, definitely. That's interesting. So the other guys that are on our sales team, they had one by one come back from Korea. And well, maybe they, they had good opportunities, but they were excited about the opportunity to stay in climbing. They were very similar to us. Uh, they had all been in another culture for a long time and they were all really excited about rock climbing and so that was just a great combination for traveling around the country and demoing shoes and meeting climbers and yeah so when we we were talking offline before we started the interview and you were mentioning the one of the reasons and you attribute this to a lot of your success is the fact that you went out and did all of these demos and that's what really helped catapult you into the position that you guys are in. Um, I wanted to ask you to sort of elaborate that for, for our, our listener and sort of explain why you feel that that really helped you, uh, you guys have a leg up and really help break into the market. Yeah, so I'm going to give away all of our secrets right now. <laughs> 
business, but I think it's probably okay to give away all of our secrets because the biggest one was just being relentless and just working. And I think if anybody else is willing to do that, they'll be successful too. When Brian, we all set up the business for about six months before Brian came back into the States. And Brian and I had gone on road trips together and done climbing before. So when he came back, he didn't even come back to Colorado where he had a home. He actually flew all the way to North Carolina come see me where we started a 30-day road trip across the country that started in Atlanta and drove all the way to OR in Salt Lake City. And in 30 days, we did 40 demos across the country. And what we realized, the same thing I realized when I put the shoe on, is that we needed to get the shoes on people's feet. We wanted to have a big adventure to start this thing off. In case it didn't work, at least we had this big adventure <laughs> to fall back on. Um, but we learned that people hadn't been coming around to do demos very often in certain parts of the country. Uh, in Florida, some people had told me they hadn't seen anybody come do a demo in three years. Um, most of the other parts of the country in climbing areas, people were coming about once a year or so. Or, but through the Midwest, there hadn't been a whole lot of people coming through to demo. So we knew that that was a big deal and we knew that we needed to keep on the ground and on the road and yeah, just kind of live that dirtbag lifestyle with other people to find out what they wanted and what they needed so that we could take it back to um, design and manufacturing and just we all enjoyed being a part of this, this whole idea of being in gyms and being at crags and talking to the people and finding out what they really want and getting this comfortable shoe on somebody's foot because it's really easy to shoot out an email or put out some social media that says this is the most comfortable shoe on the planet but <laughs> I mean who's going to believe you that's the big problem especially when you have a new company so how do you get people to know what you already know? I thought that we all thought the best answer was get the shoe on their foot. And if it doesn't fit, they'll tell them to go, go try some other shoes on and see if some other company fits. But we were really fortunate that uh, we have a shoe that's put together well and it fits a lot of people. And they have found the same things that we have, that it's the most comfortable performance shoe on the market. Right. So... You do this long road trip, you spend a ton of time on the road and doing all these demos. Uh, then what happened after this point? Um, what what happened between that point and where you guys are now, where you have a, a team of uh, eight full-time um, working on, on this and obviously progressing? Um, would you say attribute that most of your success was to just getting out there and doing these demos or was there something in addition to that? I think that was most of it, uh, getting out and doing the demos. The people that we've brought on have been more account managers, um, more reps that travel around the country. That's where we've grown the most of our employees. And then 
as a result of their sales and the growth of the shoe and everyone um, knowing about the shoe and wanting it, then demand for the shoe went up and then sales went up and then the demand on shipping went up. It's funny, as you grow and grow and grow, you just have to hire people. We tried to do it by ourselves for, for a long time, for more than 18 months probably, and we were all just starting to get angry with each other because we weren't sleeping. We were, we were just like staying up, trying to keep up, three guys trying to keep up with the growing demand. We were getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and we were all trying to handle the same workload. Um, so then we brought on um, one person in shipping, so to take that workload off of Brian, who was, um, who was doing everything in shipping and ordering and yeah he just had too much so he was the first person to get help and then he was um somewhat relaxed after that and then um we added more people to the sales team and then there was a demand for marketing so i was doing like hr and marketing and everything on that end and so then we added some people to our marketing team and yeah it just kept growing and growing did you have any mentors along this journey from when you first started to where you are now? I know Brian is really big on mentorship, and that's probably saved us quite a bit. Um, I know he meets regularly with different people in business um, that he says, you'd have to talk to him about those people that I'm not exactly sure, but he always says that that's a very important thing. Um, we kind of mentor each other to a certain degree. Um, I know for sure my wife, um, as I got into digital media, um, she has her PhD from Duke and she studies in that field, actually the environmental factors of digital media um, and how that stuff works. So she is also an editor um, before that. So she's constantly very gently and nicely telling me what I can and can't say. <laughs> she's been telling me what I can and can't say for the last three years. So now it seems like I say much less. Even <laughs> though, so, um, If you could imagine what I write now as the tangents I keep going on to every question you ask me, then that's the way it used to be. She's <laughs> certainly been my mentor along this journey. Having good mentors is, is very important. Um, now, you guys obviously have a very unique setup with your manufacturer, definitely one of the most unique of any of them we've had on the podcast. So I wanted to ask you, in terms of sustainability in the manufacturing process, how, how, do you, how are you guys involved with that or... Um, I guess, how does that function with the overall structure with the business? Well, for, how do you mean sustainability? Well, in the sense of creating a sustainably made product. Hmm. Well, I mean, there are some things about our shoes that people could probably spin into sustainability, but I'm not really comfortable with that. I don't think we do the job that we could do later for sustainability. I think that's something that 
is afforded to companies that are already very large. Like, I mean, we have tons of respect for companies like Patagonia, um, who have done an amazing job uh, with the way they do things in manufacturing. Um, but I think that's something that's afforded to companies that are already huge and have quite a bit of money and, and make those kind of decisions. We use uh, an organic hemp lining in all of our shoes, which is a sustainable product. Um, that product is also more for the structural integrity of the shoe um, because it prevents the shoe from stinking or stretching. So there are other functional attributes to that. Um, I guess that's a really important idea that I think is even more important than sustainability is to get people to understand that sustainable practices are also profitable. Um, they also are just better in the products that you're making. If you have a sustainable a portion of your product is a sustainable product, it works functionally and it's profitable, that's what's going to change companies' minds on uh, making things more sustainable. They have to see that it is financially advantageous to do so. Um, that, that was not our original goal. I don't want to sound like we did something special there, but I think it's an indirect um, arrow pointing to the possibilities that other companies that are much larger than us could uh, do. We also take the shavings from all of the rubber that we shave off of our shoes and we spray that onto the top of our new shoe as a, a functional upcycle graphic. So, I mean, those are little things that we're doing. I don't want to speak to sustainability until we're doing something that's making a huge difference, I guess. Of course, of course. But there are small things we're doing, yeah. What would you say have been some of the hardest parts about uh, building your business? Um, deciding when to add people. Deciding when the growth is too much for us to handle. I think for me, uh, definitely... And I think I speak for my partners as well. We all want to do everything ourselves. Um, so there's a certain part of that ego that tells you it's time. And it's hard for any of us to decide it. So it's been great for each of us to see when the other person is just overwhelmed or um has been cranky for six months, so needs some help. Specifically, <laughs> the way it went, we're all we were all very stubborn and determined to make this uh, project work and to bring the best shoe to all of the climbers across the country. Uh, but the country is the country's climbers are just expanding at an unbelievable rate. I think. The numbers on that were like 5 million people tried climbing last year. Um, so obviously, no matter how determined the three of us were, um, there was no way that we were going to be able to reach all of them by ourselves. So we brought on great people. And they've. our company is better because of the people that we've brought mm -hmm. on for sure. 
What would you say are some of your greatest fears and how do you manage it in regards to your business? I customer service as you get bigger because we want it to be personal with people. We want to build a community with our climbing company. It's as much about introducing a new climber to climbing in a shoe that works for them as it is about selling climbing shoes. So the bigger you get, there's the fear that you won't be able to interact with people as much. Like you get stuck in behind a computer and administrative responsibilities with emails and um, just managing everything that has to be managed. And I mean, we're all kind of facing that fear a little bit right now, but we take breaks to make sure we get out and we do demos. I mean, all of the owners of this company are still doing demos, even though we have plenty of other work to do. But we all go out and do the demos because we want to make sure we understand exactly what's going on, exactly what people are needing from us as the people that are supposed to be bringing them the most comfortable performance shoes in the market. Definitely, definitely. So what along this journey, what would you say have been some of the bigger mistakes that you've made? Uh... It's hard for me to pinpoint mistakes because I just see mistakes as challenges or obstacles that we just work through together. So, and I don't tend to dwell on mistakes for very long. I don't think any of us do. If something happens that is not ideal, we just fix it. Like if someone is not happy with something that we did, we just make sure to take care of them um, completely. Um, I can't think of any big major mistakes. Now, maybe maybe they'll come in the future. I'm not sure, uh, but we're still quite new, so maybe, maybe we haven't had enough time to make a huge mistake. <laughs> I should take a pointer <laughs> from you. <laughs> I wish I, I wish I felt the same way about <laughs> my mistakes. <laughs> I mean, maybe there are some, like I said, it's just hard for me to to dwell on a mistake. Of course, of course. Like we just like go after it and try to fix it and try to help the person if our eyes are open. <laughs> and yeah, we just stay up answering emails and taking care of people and going to visit people who need something. Um, yeah, and so most mistakes don't hang around long enough for us to dwell on them. So, of course. so what, what advice would you give to someone that um, wanted to start a business, whether it was in climbing or just a business in general? It's funny that people say don't start a business with your friends or your family. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. There's like half the side say that and half are like, no, do it. No, but I think be careful of the people that you start a business with. I think that I started this business with Brian and Mac 
because I knew that they were good people. They were people I could trust, and I knew that they were people that could be steadfast in a sea of chaos. Right. I had been climbing with both of them, and especially Brian. I had been in situations where other people would lose control of their mind and they they would just lose it and i had watched him and he watched me like keep composure so i think the stress of business oddly and fortunately for us that the stress of business is like the stress of being on point climbing and we all trusted each other because we had all seen each other on point deal with difficult situations and we're all very understanding so when one of us is like having a bad day or having a bad month and we see that like the hours and hours that owners and um, everybody that's part of this company are putting in start taking their toll then we've been friends long enough where we can say hey man you need to you need to take a break we we actually sent Mac to Spain for a month to go rock <laughs> uh, because the sales were like really increasing and he was having to um, manage this whole team of people and it, it started to get to him so we said Mac get out of here so he went to Spain for a month um, Brian went to the Himalayas for a month um, we've definitely made sure that we still keep our love for climbing even as we try. Uh, to grow this this business it's super important being able to they always say or a few people have always told me like you get into this business to do whatever it is that you love more and then you find out you're not doing it at all <laughs> and then you have to like rethink about it like wait a minute well let's reassess my priorities or at least that happened to myself and my partners when we first started you know, we weren't getting outside as anywhere near as much. I was spending most of my time in front of my computer. And then I realized, like, wait a minute, the reason I'm doing this, or one of the reasons, one of the main reasons I'm doing this is so that I can get outside more often. And just making sure that that's a priority is definitely very important. Yeah, for sure. I'm also the head coach of Triangle Rock Club in North Carolina. So getting to be around all of these used climbers, um, <laughs> they definitely help me keep things in perspective. And make sure my priorities are where they need to be. Definitely, definitely. So where do you see um, your company going in the future, in the next year, five years, and maybe even ten years, if you thought about it? Well, we're constantly coming out with new products. Um, the rental market industry we've done some really innovative things with that that we're seeing is changing the industry most of the things that we're doing it's been great because we just did this like new creative thing and then other people started doing it as well so when you're a new company and you're new to business i mean a lot of the ideas that you said could have been mistakes um like the fully markless uh, Habara rental shoe that we came out with um, and then some other companies were like oh that's rad and they started making those shoes too and then we've created the first fully customizable 
rental shoe on the market. And we did a, a, a huge deal with Brooklyn Boulders um, where we customized their shoe. And now other gyms are starting to do that as well. Um, we put the names of gyms right on the shoes so they can uh, be proud of the brand that they've built as well. Um, and now a bunch of other gyms in the country are starting to do some of the things that we just had ideas and thought this would be really cool. And we just applied them and they just started working. I guess if luck would have went the other way, uh, I might have been calling those mistakes. But uh, fortunately, they worked out for us. So Definitely. So what what's the best part about running Batora and uh Butora and how how do you see um your role in the company in the future? The best part about being involved with the company is the people that I work with. Um my role in the future hopefully is more of an actual director of marketing. Um, to where I have people that I'm working with that I can teach all of the things that I've learned. I think it's important for people that are leading other people to think of themselves as teachers and not bosses or someone that's telling other people what to do. Um, we've been really fortunate. Uh, the, another group we brought on in marketing is Harness Consulting. Um, and their phenomenal um, marketing group out of Las Vegas, and their climbers as well. And uh, they've taught me as much as I've taught them for sure. I don't know if I've taught them anything. I mean, <laughs> they're masters at what they do in digital media, and they've been teaching me a lot. And we've added a well, from the marketing department. We've added a an athlete director who make sure to take care of the athletes and um, keep them on schedule as far as getting content in for promotions that we do. And it's been really cool to work with a younger person in social media and feel like I have something to teach them um, about how things need to go out and the direction of our company. And then working together as this builds bigger and bigger, um, this co-collaboration of learning and trying to keep up with uh, the way business is constantly transforming, especially the climbing industry is constantly transforming. Um, it's it's just going to keep doing that. So that's pretty exciting to be able to keep innovating and keep being creative from what we're hearing from all the people around the country. Just being a part of that's fun. I bet. I bet. I'm I'm really excited to see what you guys do in the future. And Brad, I really appreciate you taking the time to share your story and share more about uh, Butora and, and really what you guys are all about and where you guys are going in the future. But if, if the listeners want to keep tabs on what you guys are doing uh, going forward, where's the best place for them to do that? Um, Butora Climbing on Facebook, at Climb Butora on Instagram. And one of the best places to look to see what's going on with us is our, our blog on our website at butorusa.com. We're constantly putting out um, different promotions through our athletes. We interview a lot of our athletes to see what they think about climbing. Uh, we generally give them a topic to kind of go through and see what people are thinking about climbing. I think those are great. And 
interesting. So I'd go check those out. Definitely. And, and for anyone who's listening, um, you can head over to Red Yeti because we're going to be doing a giveaway with, with Batura. And we're going to be giving away a few pairs of climbing shoes, which we're really excited about. And um, with that, Brad, I, I appreciate you taking the time. It really was a blast. Awesome. Thank you. I appreciate your time. Go support your local retailer. <laughs> if you enjoyed today's podcast episode, then we would be incredibly appreciative if you could log on to iTunes and leave us a quick review. This really helps us get noticed by other podcast listeners like yourself. And if you know anyone that would benefit from this episode, then please share it along. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Ready Podcast. We'll catch you guys next week.